The next horseman is the fiery red one. Or in the Hebrew, it has the idea of a red with a tinge of yellow. That's where they get the idea of fiery yellow or a fiery horseman. It represents political power and brings civil disorder. So verse 3, When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another horse, fiery red, came out, and the one who rode on it was granted permission to take peace from the earth so that people would butcher one another, and he has given a huge sword. This sword is not the Roman sword. It's the barbaric sword. The Romans used short swords. So this is another image of an invading army, a barbaric sword, coming in and wiping things out. And so this second horseman represents political power that brings civil disorder. Now, the difference is the first horseman represents an invading nation into your territory to conquest. It specifically said conquest. This horseman represents when your own government turns against you and oppresses you. And then what do people do when their governments turn against them? They take sides and they begin to kill each other. We know this, right? When Germany took over and began to oppress its people, some of the Germans joined the Nazi party and began to oppress their own family members, and some people resisted the government. Fidel Castro, Khmer Rouge, over and over and over again. And we turn on each other. Even most recently, when our government came in and said, this is what you have to do during COVID-19, did not our nation turn against each other and become divided and start canceling each other. Those who were pro-vaccine and those who were anti-vaccine. Did everybody do that? No. But did some pro-vaccines say, we need to cancel them and get rid of them? They're rats with diseases. And then other anti-vaccine people said, they're idiots, they're following the government, we need to get rid of them, right? And all of you have been around for a long time. Have you ever seen our nation really turn on each other and social media and all that stuff like they did during those years. And that's not even military oppression. Imagine when an army is coming into your house, forcing you to obey or die, how quickly we'll begin to turn on each other. You need to realize that when the government begins to oppress, people take sides and then they begin to attack each other. And then when things, and then when that happens usually too, right? You've seen what people did in the grocery stores when all the toilet paper and everything was gone. You've seen what people do on Black Friday when there's one television left. I've seen YouTube videos of people in the store fighting over a television, and I literally watched this guy grab the television and smash it over the other guy's head because he wanted the discount. Now he has nothing. If this is what people do with discounts, imagine when the government takes everything away and you have very few resources. We will turn on each other so quickly. And this is what the Bible means, but I will take away peace. I will give you over. God gave us over to ourselves during COVID-19 and government shutdown. And we just turned on, and I don't mean every single one of you, but a lot of Americans turned on each other on social media and started cutting throats. They started firing people. They started canceling each other. They ruined their reputations. They ruined their businesses. Government actually froze people's checkings account. PayPal took people's money away. We've seen that. And that's not a military oppression. Imagine military oppression. And so I believe that this horseman represents when governments turn against their people and people feel like they have to take sides. And we turn on each other. God is giving you over. The third seal 
When the Lamb, verse 5, opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. So I looked, and here came a black horse. The one who rode it had a balancing scale in his hand. And then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat will cost a day's wage, and three quarts of barley will cost a day's pay. But do not damage the olive oil. Now, this horseman is the black horseman, and it represents economic power that brings social breakdown and famine. Now, we saw that, right? The minute the government got their hands involved in things and government shut down, the economy began to fail. We are facing one of the worst economic failures in our country right now. I'm not saying the, but one of, because of all the decisions our government made during COVID-19. Now, I don't care what your view is on liberal and Democrat and conservative and Republican and, 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 and whether you should have masked or not or vaccination or not. I'm not dealing with all that. I'm dealing with the fact that the polls now say 80% of Americans believe that the government screwed everything up during that time period and it's not going in its right direction and our economy is really bad and people are scared on both sides of the political fence. And it doesn't matter whether you're masked or not, or vaccinated or not, or Democrat or Republican, everybody's scared. And everybody believes the government messed up big time in a lot of areas. Now we can debate how they messed up and who messed up and all I don't really care. But what I'm saying is, when they got involved, things are now collapsing. Things are collapsing. A quart of wheat is basically what was statistically on average what a one person needed to feed themselves every day. One quart of wheat was considered a daily helping of food. For a day's wage, a day's wage was how many denarii, a denarius was how much you would make in one day on average. So it's basically saying is that every, the economy is so bad that every day this guy, this random person, is spending his entire day's wage to buy all the food that he needs to eat so he doesn't starve to death, which means he has no money left over to buy anything else. And it means that if he has a family, he cannot take care of his family anymore and they're going to starve and die. So what this means is the economy is so bad that you're going to just basically starve to death. And we've seen that in other nations. We've seen other nations that what happens is some, some government makes some bad decisions, they, they make an alliance, a nation comes in, the government turns on its own people and starts taxing them even more and oppressing them so they can fight for this war and defense. The economy begins to collapse, people begin to starve to death, they flee their countries, and now they're in refugee camps where they're barely surviving, right? How many times have we seen that over and over again? Over and over and over again. And I think what God is saying is this is what's going to happen in the last days. Now, you can either take the view that this is currently happening over and over and over and over again between the first and second coming Christ, or this is going to happen on a big global scale one day in the future. But either way, right? Either way, it's happening. We know it's happening now, and we know it's going to happen in the future because nothing's going to change until Christ comes back. So this is why I'm saying I don't care if you're a futurist or you're an idealist like me. I think we can all agree this is what's happening, and this is what's going to happen. And this is our own judgments. These are our own judgments. God is giving us over to our own things. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I didn't. Yeah, but we voted for this. And we didn't rise up and try to stop it. 
This horseman represents Ekanah. Well, do not touch the wine. People don't know exactly what this means. I'm not sure what this means. Possible theories is don't touch the wine. The wine was reserved for the elite and the powerful. So the idea is that they won't be touched. You know, like during government shutdown, when you're like people are losing jobs and committing suicide and they're stuck in their houses and they can't go on vacation and stuff. And the celebrities are sitting there with their swimming pools and their tennis courts and they're all their cars and stuff. And they have these big giant and they're like, oh, my life is miserable too. That might be the idea what it means. Don't touch the wine that the elite are going to escape it and it won't affect them. Or it could be that it could always get worse. If you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse because the wine hasn't been affected yet. Or it means that there's still hope because wine is a symbol of the Messiah and the abundance of life and joy. And so no, no matter what, God won't allow it to get so bad that there will be no hope whatsoever. Those are three possible views of what don't touch the wine might mean. Um, when it comes to um, understanding this passage. Famines were incredibly common. You and I are relatively safe from famines. We've had famines, right? And in, in America, just imports things from other nations, and we see a price hike. And we see our, our gas bill go up. We see our water bill go up. But you and I don't know what it's like to be in famines, where we're literally starving to death and dying. And, 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 and in Rome, that happened a lot. That happened a lot. And so the idea is that these are going to happen over and over and over and over again. This also represents plagues because it says plagues will begin to break out because when people begin to starve, their immune systems suffer. They don't have the defense necessary and plagues wipe out. And you say, well, eventually these are going to say one third of the population is going to die. The bubonic plague wiped out between 30 to 50% of the population. That is in recent history, and by recent I mean world history. Okay, If you go to other countries like India, they have had entire half of their populations wiped out recently in the last couple of decades from plagues. If you go to other places like Mexico, they have had starvations to the point where people are dying. And so you have to understand, it's very easy to say, oh, but this isn't happening, therefore it must be future. The reality is, no, it is happening. It's been happening over and over and over again for thousands of years, and it's happening right now in the world. Most countries are experiencing this. Most countries are experiencing this kind of stuff. And it's very easy to just see it on the television when the Ethiopians, right, in the 80s, it was the Ethiopians with the bloated stomachs all the time. And that was like the worst image we saw on television unless Peter Jennings was covering the Vietnam War at that moment or something like that, right? And I know I wasn't alive for that, but I remember seeing recordings of it. We're not used to realizing that this is happening to the vast majority of the people around the world. I'm not saying all. And when there's 8 billion people in the population, that means there's a lot that are not but the vast majority experiencing horrific things like this all the time. And for them, they would say, Revelation is happening. It's happening right now. Verse 7. Then when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. So I looked, and here came a pale green horse. The name of the one who rode the horse is Death, and Hades followed right behind him. They were given the authority over a fourth of the earth to kill its population with the sword, famine, disease, and by wild animals of the earth. Now this is, um, the Greek word here is kolores. It is translated as pale colored, 
when used of plants, it means green or light green, like chlorophyll. It literally means a light green color, and it's the color of dead people. Now, we're not used to seeing dead people with green faces because we put makeup on them at funerals. But when people die and get bloated, they start getting this sickly light green color in their skin. And so the idea is not a pale horse, but a sickly green dead horse. And its name is death. And all of Hades, which is their equivalent of hell, follow. Now, whenever death and Hades appear together, they're personified as literal real things. Notice that they were given the power. Death and Hades are personified and given the power to destroy. And whenever we see this, Hades always follows death. So death kills and Hades comes like a dragnet, just gathering all the dead bodies up. And that's the idea that's being portrayed here. So what does this represent? This represents the negation of power. The negation of power. Now what you've seen so far is that power has been unleashed to a, an unregulated extreme that it's allowed to go into other nations and kill other people. Conquest. The white horsemen. Power has been unregulated and unleashed to the point that it enslaves its own people and the people begin to turn against each other. And then power has been unleashed to the point that it's able to bring an economic collapse that makes people suffer. If this goes on long enough, even that powerful thing will lose its power when everything dies. The Babylonian Empire does not exist anymore. We can go through history and see vacant wastelands where powers used to exist. The Mongols, they don't exist anymore. The Ottoman Empire is dead and gone. Babylon is a desert. And what God is saying is when power is left unchecked, it will go wild and chaotic. It will destroy the people around them. And then eventually it will turn on itself and implode and even kill its own self. And eventually there will be nothing left. And this is exactly what God says in Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 29. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 and 29, God says, If you do not obey me and follow me, I will allow plagues and famines to come in your land. And if you don't repent and you continue to rebel against me and go after idols, then I will allow oppressors to come in and take over your land. And even if that doesn't lead you to repentance and turn to me as a God, then I will allow them to come in and slaughter your people. And then if that doesn't cause you to return and repent, then I will collapse your economy. And if that doesn't work, then I will take you off into exile. And what happened in the book of Kings? The exact progression. Sometimes Israel repented, and God pushed them back a little bit and got rid of the famine. And then they just went to act to idolatry again, and the famine came and oppression came. And then the diseases came, and then they repented, and God pushed it back a little bit. But eventually they got so bad that it went all the way to exile. And then they all died. Negation of power. And this is what God is saying. If you, if you don't repent, if my people repent and cry out to me, then I'll heal their nation. He doesn't say, when you vote for the Democratic Party, who will bring hope and change, when you vote for the Republican Party, you will make America great again. When, 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 when you get the right economic situation right, he says, if my people get on their knees and cry out to me and repent, then I'll heal your nation. 
The only thing that will stop the four horsemen is repentance and crying out to him. And it's not how we vote. We already read Nancy Percy. She does a great job of showing that politics does not change culture. Politics is a reflection of the culture. Now, I'm not saying don't vote. Don't push this to an extreme. Okay, I'm not a big fan of government, but I'm not an anarchist either. But what God is saying is, this is the natural escalation. I have done this over and over and over and over again. And the only thing that will stop it is repentance. The only thing that will stop it, the only thing that will de-escalate it is repentance. And whether you're a futurist or an idealist now, we can all agree that this is God's pattern. We all can agree that he's doing this right now. He's always been doing this right now. And yet maybe one day there's an ultimate empire and an ultimate antichrist and an ultimate judgment. Yes, I'm open to that. But we can all agree that the tribulation's happening right now in some kind of way. There might be some future literal seven years, but it's happening. It's always been happening. It's happened in the book of Judges. It happened in the book of Kings. It happens in the book of with the Gospels, it's happening over and over and over again. And what God is saying is that this is what governments do when they are left unchecked and you trust in them more than you trust me. And the only thing to recheck them is not voting. That can delay it for a while, but repenting and turning back to me. And I don't think anybody from any view would disagree with that statement because that's clearly over and over and over again in the Bible. Because they have rejected the Prince of Peace, they no longer have the right to experience peace. When you reject the Prince of Peace, you no longer have the right. When political powers oppress their people, eventually everything begins to fall apart into civil disorder, which then means all chaos breaks out in famine and plagues and wild animals and nature reclaiming what humans have failed to bring under creation, order creation. This is when everyone loses power, death reigns over everyone, and Hades gathers up all the victims. This is the total collapse of institutions, cities, and nations into death. We create our own hell on earth. Even when the West was reveling in how great we had become with our modern civilizations, we produced World War I and World War II. When the nations put themselves above Yahweh, they collapsed under the judgment of Yahweh. We were the greatest generation ever who were a Christian nation. Most people went to church and believed in God. And we were talking about how awesome we were and how great we have become and how amazing empire we were. And then we unleash the most devastating wars humanity has ever seen. World War I was the nastiest, most stupid, evil war ever. For over five years, they sat in trenches and burned and gassed each other alive. And at the end of five years, not one side had gained one inch. World War II, the genocide, was ridiculous. More people died in that than all the wars put together of human world. And what was it? It was the ultimate celebration of humanity. If you know anything about World War II, it was social Darwinism. It was when humanity said, God is dead Darwin has reigned. Our ideology is everything. Look at man, how awesome we are and what we can create. And then it's all about who's the strongest. And Germany took that to its logical conclusion and unleashed hell on earth. And we joined in. And we didn't stop it until it was too late. When man becomes arrogant and prideful, 9-11 happened. 
right? We literally watched the terrorists and followed them for almost a year. We watched them go to the airport and be trained. Osama bin Laden sent us a letter in the mail before 9-11 and said on 9-11, we will pick up where we left off, where Europe defeated them in 1683 on September 12th. We will pick up where we left off, and on that day, we will conquer you and bring down the great beast, the giant. He said, we will bring down the great giant. We said, whatever, we're too great and awesome for that to happen. And on 9-11, they took us down. And that's why Bush said, the sleeping giant has awakened never again. He quoted Osama bin Laden's letter. Arrogance and pride. And we fell. Not completely, all the way down. And Bush, and you know what happened on 9-11? More people started going to church that morning than ever in a long time. Because they were left completely hopeless, with nothing to turn to except for God. And Bush had an incredible opportunity to say, let's get on our knees and cry out to God. And instead he said, they have awoken the sleeping giant. Never again will that happen. We'll be caught off guard. That's pride. He missed a perfect opportunity to lead us in repentance, to lead us crying out to God. This is what God is talking about. And he gave them over to themselves. And we wreak havoc. I think this is what the four horsemen are really truly about. And even if you disagree with me, I'm open to the fact that it's future. But I think we can all agree that this is what's happening. This is human history. Now the fifth seal shifts from the calamities of Yahweh that fall upon the world because of the rejection land to how the world has brought calamity on themselves. So the fifth one. Verse 9. Now when the Lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been violently killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, How long, sovereign master, howly and true, before you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood. Each of them was given a long white robe and they were told to rest for a little longer until the full number was reached of both their fellow servants and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been killed been done to them so now these are the believers that have been killed or they've been violently wronged it's not very clear if this is under the altar of god as in the altar of sacrifice that is in heaven that they're dead in heaven or that it's the altar on earth some kind of metaphysical altar scholars debate that okay it seems most logical that they're in heaven because they've died they could either be crying out for being violently oppressed or they could be crying out because they've been literally killed for their faith. But either way, what is clear is that these are the witnesses, they're the believers who have been wronged by governments. They have been attacked, oppressed, persecuted, and even killed for their faith. And they're sitting there crying out to God saying, when will you punish them for what they've done to me? Now this isn't like, I want revenge. Let me see you just rip them apart. This is... This is unjust, and a just God punishes. When will you do this? And what God is showing you right here, if you think the four horsemen are unjust, and that God is harsh and unloving in some kind of way, let's pause a little bit, and let's go back to the people who were slaughtered by the Khmer Rouge. Let's go back to the fact that so many Christians, thousands of Christians, are dying every day. You want to talk 
about the amount of people that have died in Hamas and the Palestinians. Let's talk about thousands of Christians who have died in Muslim countries. Let's talk about thousands upon thousands of Christians who have had their arms ripped off in front of their kids, their kids' heads cut off, babies ripped out of pregnant women just thrown to the ground. If you go to the persecutedchurch.com and other places, there's horrific tragedies. And what there's, and God is going, switching the camera from the hell on earth that's happening because of nations and shifting to the victims and saying, there, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm allowing this. They deserve justice. Evil cannot be tolerated forever. They must be punished. The white robes mean that they will be victorious ultimately. Right now, with their heads cut off and dead, they don't look victorious. But when Christ vindicates them and raises them from the dead and they inherit the earth, they will be victorious. That's the idea. And God says, I cannot bring full judgment on the earth until you reach your full number. Now that could either be that the the amount of Christians that are going to have to die has to reach its full number, or just the amount of Christians that have to come to the faith reaches full number. I take the latter view. I do not believe that this is specifically just referring to the martyrs. Some people say that these are all the Christians who are dying in that seven-year tribulation. But the fact that we're later going to learn that there's an uncountable number of them, that doesn't make sense an uncountable number have died in a seven-year time period. If the plagues are truly wiping out most of the population, one-fourth of the population, and then one-third of that, you have very few people left on earth. So the amount of people that are actually Christians that are now dying for their faith is even smaller. So the idea that this is later said to be an uncountable number and that there's a massive and they have to reach a number, I think that this means that when all the believers have reached their full number, when, when all those who are, can be saved in human history are finally saved and come to Christ, that's when Christ will come back and deal with everything. Because I think, now that, that's what I said, this probably could refer, I'm not denying that, this could refer to just the Christians, but it also could be the fact that every single Christian during his time period was pretty much dying and being killed. And throughout human history, the vast majority of Christians have been killed. We are the exception. You can look at America for the last couple hundred years and say most Christians have not been killed. If you look at all of human history and you look at all of people alive today and our lifetime, most Christians have been killed. Most Christians have been killed. And I think it's not saying literally that every Christian will be killed or only just the Christians who have been killed. I think it's just saying that until America comes along, which is going to be a brief like 50, 100 year time period in all of human history and only a fraction of the world's population even today, most Christians are going to die. I'm not saying all, but throughout human history, most Christians have been killed. Yes. Either directly or indirectly. Either just starved out, like when the, the, when the Ottoman Empire came over as the Muslims and they started taking over Christian nations, that first they began to exterminate all the Christians and all the Jews and anybody who wasn't a Muslim in the 700s and 800s A.D. But eventually they started conquering so much of the world it was just too hard for them to systematically exterminate everybody. When they went to India, they genocide within about a 100-year period 14 million Indian people, actually 40 million Indian people. Okay, biggest case of genocide in world history. But eventually it got too hard to kill so many people, so what they did is they just taxed Christians and Jews more than everybody else, so they eventually starved to death. 
So they have either been killed directly or indirectly by the world just because they were Christians. Just because they were Christians. You and I are a small minority exception. And just in the last couple hundred years, a very small minority. If you take the amount of people that have been in America for the last couple of years, it's a drop in the bucket of world population. This is why people say, God bless America. Not because we're without faults, because nobody's ever experienced such freedoms and, and protection in all of human history. And that might be coming to an end. I'm not a prophet. I'm not saying it is. And I'm not saying it's the end of the world if America ceases to have its superpowerness. But I also can look at world history, and I know it only lasts for so long, and it's coming soon. What's soon, I don't know, but it looks like it's really soon now. And as a father of three girls, that scares me to death, so I hope I'm wrong. But at the same time, there is something about faith growing when persecution happens. This is them crying out. 